Hello, hello, hello. It's John Sacco, owner of Sierra Company, Sierra Recycling and Demolition, Sierra International Machinery. This is Pile of Scrap. I'm here with Jason Young from the Allen Company. How do you like the name of our podcast, Pile of Scrap? <laughs> it's appropriate. <laughs> it can be for our industry at times. Hey, Jason, thanks for um, agreeing to um, join us. And so to give you a little background on what we're doing with our podcast is I feel it's important that we bring people into the industry and all forms of recycling to bring their knowledge. And this isn't just about, look, for full disclosure, you don't own a piece of Sierra equipment. We do trade paper, right? We <laughs> yes. trade OCC. But so full, full disclosure that, you know, you're an industry leader. Uh, you sat on my executive committee at ISRI, and um, I consider you a friend, but uh, a really knowledgeable individual. So let's get started. And and give us the history of the Allen Company. Tell us a little bit about the Allen Company, the history and, and where you came from and where you are. Okay, well, we started in 1965. It was started by my father, Steve Young. Um, he started picking up uh, computer tab cards, punch cards. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, he basically, my grandfather worked at a scrap yard in uh, Los Angeles, a waste paper yard, not a okay. scrap yard. And uh, my father became a sub dealer for them so because they were a union shop at that point in time there was really only three big paper stock dealers in Los Angeles they were a union shop and they had all these little sub dealers who had pickup trucks that would run out and pick up uh, you know whatever they wanted whatever their union drivers didn't want to pick up so difficult to handle hard to get to type of stuff these sub drivers would pick them up bring them back to the you know sort them out when they got to their house or wherever they were at bring them downtown and sell them and uh, that's how it started. He, you know, my, his garage at my grandfather's house got too full. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so he rented a little, uh, it would basically be considered a storage unit right down the street here. Uh, you know, here in Baldwood Park? Right, right. To, we own the property now, but it's, uh, you know, about a half a block down. And it was 14624 and three quarters was his address. And the neighbors were just renting storage units, so they allowed him to start using the yard as their as like his buyback so he started buying at the door with a scale that's kind of how we started and then he slowly kind of grew it from there you know what's interesting my dad started sierra bag company when it all started in a garage you know it's it, in this industry in the recycling industry, so many people from the first generations from the old jewish families back east that started most of these scrap metal yards and stuff started in a garage yeah. so i think that's interesting that's fascinating so where are you today? Tell, tell us about Allen Company today. What, what is your scope of business? Tell us a little bit about from the garage to Allen Company today. Um, so Allen Company today operates 11 facilities between Fresno and San Diego. Um, we also have a finished product business, which we sell finished rolls out of. We also have a warehousing operation in commerce. Um, where I also have partners, we're partners in other operations, the owners of Allen Company, we're partners in other operations around Los Angeles, uh, other scrap yards, as well as a document destruction company. So you're in the scrap metal, evil metal, huh? We do a little bit of, we do scrap metal. Well, what happened was, is in the late 2000s, we were primarily paper stock dealers and CRV, which right. we're big in the CRV program. And that's California redemption value. That's the cans and pet bottles and glass for those who don't from who aren't from California. And uh, what happened was our paper business started to decline because the newsprint print media was kind of going away. 
And so we were looking at other avenues to get volume through our yards. And so we started doing non-Ferris business. And then about three years later, started doing Ferris business through our yards. So it's come full circle. Yeah. I, so we started, you know, in the bags and what have you. And then as our scrap yard, we started taking paper. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny how we all do things. And, of course, the equipment company that's uh, Sierra International, that's a whole different animal. So do you – okay, you also – have trucks that pick up the blue bin correct i do not pick up the blue bin. you do not service okay. the blue bin for cities that pick it up okay so blue bin comes here dealers. yes well different locations but here as well yes. okay so in your different locations mm-hmm. all right well i want to get into this because i think so many people you run up to oh you're in the recycling business oh i recycle my this and my that and you know okay well that's great yeah oh it must be a great business oh what they don't know and, I, and so I, I, my, my question here is the blue bin myth. Let's talk about the blue bin in respect to what percentage of material put in the blue bin is actually recyclable versus it's just got to go to landfill at the end of it. You know, it really depends on the city. We have cities that vary between about 20% all the way up to about 45% waste in the material. Is that a socioeconomic issue? Partially that. Partially is how much is how often they service the bin, you know, one okay. bi-weekly or weekly. Also, do they charge for a second trash bin? Or there's a lot of cities, they won't charge for a secondary recycling bin, but they will charge for a secondary trash bin. So people disorder a recycling bin and throw their trash in there. I mean, it, it, it's pretty commonplace. So the, it depends a lot on the policies of the city and what happens. Socioeconomic is another issue. Tell you know. us about that real quick. From the more affluent neighborhoods to the lesser neighborhoods, What's the difference in the, who has the better uh, product to recycle? Generally, the more affluent neighborhoods will have a little bit cleaner stream. Okay. Be, but the, I mean, when you get into the less affluent neighborhoods, there, you know, a lot of times you have multiple families in the same home, trash can space is limited, so it ends up spilling over into the blue bin. Okay, so that said, let's talk about things that are and are not recyclable that everybody thinks is or isn't. A pizza box. Somebody gets a Domino's pizza. Tell me about that. Okay. Well, I mean, it, if there's no grease on it, it's perfectly recyclable. It what, has f- what Domino's pizza doesn't have grease on it? Well, I mean, it, you know, a lot of them put a, a sheet of wax paper underneath it so the grease doesn't go through to the, pa- to the box. But in general, you know, if you, they're difficult to recycle. Can be done, but difficult for sure. Okay, so g- give us some other things that you know for, in your experience, people put in the bin that they think is or stuff they're not putting in that they should put in. You know, I think that a lot of times, especially when it comes to plastics, is where this is really the biggest issue. You know, I mean, it, it really is a problem with the plastics. You know, we have the Pacific, you know, the, the garbage patch in the Atlantic and the right. Pacific Ocean. You know, those things are, it's a significant issue that we're, that we're bearing the burden of. Um, but I also think that they're lumping a lot of different commodities together that really aren't all bad. Like, you know what? I mean? like, well, like for instance, you know, you have PET and HDPE bottles. Okay, which, tell, pe- tell, the, tell the listeners, a PET bottle is your water bottle. You a go, water bottle. It's Pepsi PET bottle. is a soda water bottle, a normal one. Okay. You know, it's, it's polyethylene type whatever okay. conglomerate. I don't remember the term for it, but okay. it's a number one bottle. Okay. Those are readily recyclable and there is a market for them and they're sold and they're bought and sold on a large scale basis. Okay. HDPE, which is more like your milk jugs and maybe your oil containers and stuff like that. That is also, there's a, a ready market for it and it's sold, bought and sold. 
Now, the problem is when you get into the other resin types, the three through sevens, either there is a market, but there's not enough volume of the resin type, or there is no market for certain resin types. Okay. And so now you're, but what happens is, is what the one big mistake I think people make is they say plastics, right? Plastics are bad. Well, it's not all plastics. It's just some of the commodities, you know, when they get into some real specialized manufacturing marketing gimmicks, Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times they're mixing polymers of plastic together in a, in a bottle to make it look neater or cooler or, you know what I mean? And, you know, and you see that stuff. I mean, like, for instance, I'll give you a perfect example, an aluminum can that just came out. Okay. That, uh, I think it was Pepsi came out okay. with Mountain Dew. And it's for video gamers to reseal, but it's got a plastic top on it and an aluminum can. Okay, so that's so, problematic. You're, you're, you're contaminating the product. So. You know, exactly. It's not a good recyclable for plastic, and it's not a good recyclable for So what, what's the solution there? What, 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 when it, okay, so good analogy. So people, I got my aluminum can, and, and you know, but and so now it's got the plastic. you're nickel for it because yeah, you have to it's do got it. the plastic. So what, what is the challenge? The challenge for that is they need to design the product for recycling in the first place. And it's something we talked about at Israel a lot of times. Is it's really the most critical aspect of what is happening. Out there. So the design, there's so you take the basic because they don't deal with the end consumption of it. They think, well, we got a we got a recyclable plastic top and a re- obvious yeah. aluminum. We'll marry the two. Yeah. It's got to be recyclable. But in the end, it's creating a problem it's, because it, 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 it's a downgrade on the aluminum. It's either too difficult or not enough volume of it, or it's, it's that'll just, change probably pretty quick, won't it? I think that that's really the the message that needs to be put out there. I mean, everybody wants to solve the the plastic pollution issue, which you know I think is a huge issue for not only our country but the world. And I think that you know the solution isn't to ban everything, but I think it is to make sure that the manufacturers design it correctly. You know, I mean, design it for with the uh, with the idea of it's going to be recycled at the end of it. Yeah. Not so just, design for recycling is is something that is hugely important for. And everybody wants to be green. And again, I, here's a classic well, that's case. A, I don't know if I agree with that. Not everybody wants to be green. There's a whole section of people that are just designing stuff for marketing. So they're designing this specialized aluminum clan or PET bottle that's designed for a certain section of the industry, video gamers or athletes or whatever it is, right? This is, I'm designing this for them, but they don't take into account when they're designing this fancy new bottle for them or can or whatever it is the design for recycling and i think that needs to be brought more to the forefront when they design that stuff rather than who's who's going to bring that message to them jason where where is it the people like yourself who are in the recycling industry who have to handle it and there's the diminished value of this commodity after the amounts of money you have to spend just to get it to a, a consumer i think that that message needs to be brought forth by you know the government our government in general if they really want to clean up issues like the Pacific garbage patch or, the, you know, plastic going to landfills, whatever you want to describe it. I think that's really what needs to happen is they need to sit down and say, you know, we need to go to the manufacturer of these product and say, you can manufacture it in a different type of container and still get your same, you know, you're still going to have your same sales and you're still the same marketing, but it could be recycled in the end. I mean, a Capri Sun box, a Capri Sun pouch is okay. a perfect example. It's aluminum and plastic with a straw glued on the outside with right. a cellophane wrap. I mean, it's a, yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it, just a, it's mess. a nightmare. Okay, you know? so so people, so th- that's the item that people think they're doing their duty by putting it in the recycle bin, but yet it, 
it's just it's, it's garbage. It's I mean there's it's got so much going on, you know it's it's not even close. You know what I mean? And what, that's what, you know see I think that the education of the public in regards to what is and what isn't truly recyclable and why because people don't understand what cross contamination is. As recyclers, as people who handle all sorts of materials, Sierra does, Allen Company does, we understand you don't mix certain materials because it's a downgrade. Yeah. And that's the problem with glass. Gla glass is a nightmare. Yeah. And of course, the competing virgin product for glass is sand. So there's no value in it. <laughs> I don't think we're running out of sand anytime <laughs> soon, do you? But I mean, the truth of the matter is glass is readily recyclable. As okay. long as you don't mix, you know, like uh, uh, ceramics or window glass, because it's a different type of glass. Okay. If it's just bottle glass, you know, wine, okay. beer bottle. Okay, so talk about bottle. that from the clear amber and green bottles. Uh -huh. Okay, what happens when they all get intermixed? Is it okay? They can recycle yeah, it now? Yeah, they can it, recycle it. They can either make a darker colon out of it, or they will optically sort it and try to get the, cl the clear out, make a clear brown and green colon. So they can do it both ways. So... so Let's go back to the blue bin. Mm -hmm. If you could educate the public on that blue bin, what are the give me two or three key points? What you could what you want the public to know about what to and not to put into the blue bin? You know, if you're asking me, and this is my opinion, yes, the public should uh, if they don't know, mm -hmm. they should throw it out. When in doubt, throw it out. Because if you're not, if well, not, isn't you're just, that, isn't that, it's funny you say that, not because, see, as we said, yeah, we understand that, yeah. because they, what they don't understand is how much, if you can, give or take a blue bin, the cost, you know, look, I've been in a lot of huge MRFs, 20, 30, 40 million dollar MRFs across this country, and they have these million dollar optical sorters that sort the different papers, the different plastics, and all this, but what does it cost per ton? Give or take, if you could put a range. Well, it depends on the stream. You know, if okay. the stream is extremely clean, it's cheaper, and if it's extremely dirty, it's from a dirty end. How much does it cost on a dirty end? You know, you're probably looking 130, 140 dollars a ton. Yeah, maybe 150. and you're talking about. It all depends on your freights and everything where you're going for your. Okay, so let's but, use that 130. Let's use just 100 dollars. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with commodities now that aren't even worth 100 dollars a ton. <laughs> Well, I mean, now here's your problem. <laughs> well, not only that, but the other issue is that over the last two years in that industry, we've had a real issues with the end markets, either so, either disallowing shipment or making the, the shipments have to be cleaner, right? So, so, so with this market changes in, in, in the values of commodity, what's going to happen? The consumer's going to pay for this because the city's going to have to start charging more because you just don't do this for free. The commodity doesn't bring the revenue to offset the cost. So is everybody household going to be start getting charged more for this or are cities going to abandon recycling programs and just go straight to the landfill until commodity prices come back? What's going to happen? I think it depends on where you live in the country. I think in California, most cities will end up charging more for their curbside. I think if you live in, in other areas where recycling isn't as important, they may stop the programs altogether. You know, it's just a, a function of the desire of the community. You know, in California, you know, we have kind of mandated, you know, recycling laws and recovery rates. So it's hard for the cities and the counties to say, we're not going to do this anymore. But, you know, but they go back to the public and have to charge them more. Right. On the other side of that, you know, I really look at the whole trash waste industry. I mean, you live in California. What is your, what has been the increase in your water and electric bill, your utility bills at your house 
from 10 years ago to today. Significant. I mean, 100%? Well, I, I, I mean, it's, it's it, significant. It's California. It's right. expensive. And if you look at the trash bill, it's been pretty stagnant for about 15 years. That's going to change. And that's going to change. You're going to see increase. I don't think it's going to go up 100%, but it's definitely going to have probably 20 or 30% increases in your waste bills. And I think... I don't think that the public's going to have this great outcry that everybody everybody thinks is coming. Well, because it's going to be minimal per household. All right, so let's talk about something. Everybody always asks the question when we talk about where do the pet bottles go? Where do the, the milk jugs go and where are the cans? So walk somebody who would listen to this who's not in our industry. Walk them through. After you get the plastic, you sort it, you bail it. Who's taking it and how are they making a new product from it? Okay, so we the PET, for instance, gets ground and flaked and pelletized and made into either, they can make it into PET bottles again, depending on the process line, or they can make it into different sorts of PET sheets, which go into making like strawberry boxes and that kind of stuff. So okay. it can go either direction. It also can be made into fiber to make clothing. Okay. Okay. The HDPE goes into similar aspects to that, where it'll go into a little bit different, unique, you know, a little bit different items go back into HDPE for okay. sure. And, you know, they also make sheet out of it and packaging. Okay. Packaging. And cans, just simple. Aluminum cans are probably the purest form of recycling. They go almost all of them go directly into aluminum cans. So they go so from they aluminum cans to, I mean, I would they say remelt all, it into. And it, it just gets remelted because what happens is it's cheaper to use the aluminum can from recycling than it is to use virgin metal mm -hmm. because they have to add a bunch of alloys to the virgin metal. And it's already in the regular aluminum can, so it's very simple. It's just, you know, they don't really have to do it. It's a it's much simpler process. How many lives can you get out of that? In other words, aluminum can, you can remelt it. At what point, how many times can you take a can before there's nothing left to remelt? I don't know that it, there is an end life to aluminum cans. They just can, they can continually be recycled. What about cardboard and paper items? Cardboard and paper, it's the, it, they call it the, I've heard it called the seven or the nine times rule. It can be recycled seven or nine times depending on who you're listening to okay so we go somebody who goes to a fast food restaurant and they get a napkin that's made from pretty much recycled fiber right not all of them no but a lot are a lot are but not and all. what what paper is being used to make those napkins it depends on the manufacturer but most most of those are made out of like an office pack okay so like your office recycle bin would be made into that sort of stuff or print shop material that kind of stuff much cleaner fiber What's the landfill cost? So you here we are. We've talked about getting it to the end. Now, when you sort out everything and you've got fifty percent, forty percent waste, now mm -hmm. that's got to go to the landfill. Mm -hmm. What's the landfill fee? Who's paying for that? It depends on the contract with the city, but it, sometimes it's the recycler, sometimes it's the city. And for LA here and the different count, what, what, what's that cost depends per ton? On, uh, well, I mean, right now you're looking probably around forty-five dollars delivered. You know, third somewhere between forty and forty-five. So that's not so way. bad. It's not. I, mean, I know in New Jersey and in New York, it's much higher. It's yeah. much higher. It's over a hundred dollars yeah. a ton. Yeah. So if you have the space, it's going to cost less. On the East Coast, they're out of space. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because people, you know, like you say, when in doubt, throw it out. So it's a lot cheaper to spend forty dollars to go to a landfill than it is to sort sort it. Spend one hundred and thirty dollars to sort it, and then on top of that, you have to spend forty-five fifty. Yep. to go to the landfill. Yep. So it's costing $200 a ton for something they think they're recycling, which it could have really only cost 40 45 But it's not that they think they're recycling. It is being recycled, okay? And it is being processed. It's just 
it's costly. It's expensive to do. And, you know, if, if the decision is made that we want to recycle, every, you know, when you say we're going to recycle, everybody, yeah, recycle. When you say we're going to recycle and it's going to cost you X, people go, oh. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. not as important. But, well, that's, you know. that, that's the thing. Everybody, I think that's what's important. People have to understand there's a huge cost yeah. to recycling. And the value of the commodities today do not represent enough value. I mean, it's just the cost of doing it is way more than the value of the commodities. Exactly. And I think people need, they can be educated about that and be a little bit more selective of what they're putting in the blue bin to, which would help reduce the cost. Exactly. How do we educate people? How does that happen? Who's, who's in charge of helping to educate? Do we start at the school system? Do we start when kids are in kindergarten and all the public schools and teaching them, this is how you Put what you put in the blue bin is this is this you know, there was a really interesting what? thing that i saw which was the the u.s epa is trying to come out with a standardized recycling program for the country for the blue bin which i really think would be very helpful and that would be if that happened then the advertising from everybody in the country would be the same right now you know, you have all these different cities and counties in across the country that have that accept different items in their bin. A lot of those are, you know, I don't know, legislated or you know, lobbied for certain items to be in there to declare them recyclable. To you know, what I mean, there's a right. lot of you know, it, it's it, it's really a when you look at it, it's it's kind of if they had an actual list from a federal list saying this is what goes in the blue bin. I think it would make a lot of sense to it would, the advertising would be so much simpler because then everybody would be told the same thing. It's not going to be you live in, you know, Bakersfield, so you're told to put this in, and I live in, in a city, and I'm told to put something else in there. You it's know, standardized. I, yeah. You know, I, I would. I noticed I was in Europe um, a few weeks ago, and they at this uh, in this town they had all the, they had five, six, seven different bins for food waste garbage for plastic glass can and what i saw was fascinating i saw people actually looking and properly putting the right item in so i found that and i go well that's 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 a somebody's been educated to do that mm -hmm. and that's where we need to go and i think people who hear this podcast will be able to to spread the word a little bit yeah put the right things in the blue bin all right so let's lastly before i want to get into we got a few minutes left here the changes in the marketing conditions and everything, what's, what's the next five, ten years look like for this style of recycling, the blue bin? What For the blue bin or for just and the let's talk more, We're on the blue bin because every household is familiar with it. What, what's the future of the blue bin recycling program? I think the future is going to look very similar to the way it is now with, you know, I, I, I can really speak to California clearly. I don't really do that business across the country. In California, I think it's going to look similar to what we have now. And I think the commodity markets will return. You know, right now we have a very strange blip in the market, which is, you know, the world's largest consumer of recovered material basically banned a lot of it or restricted a lot of it from coming in, which has forced, you know, the a market collapse. Right. And, you know, and it's not the first time we've seen a market collapse. And it's not the first time that I've seen a market collapse from a f overseas government intervention. You got to remember back in 1993, the Germans instituted the Green Dot Law. 
which okay. everything had to be recycled. Everything had a green dot. They pushed so much material on the market, it collapsed the worldwide market for yeah, all scrap commodities. Supply and demand. Well, not More scrap. I should say paper commodities. Right. It just it just they added so much supply to the stream, it ruined the market everywhere. And it ruined it for the better part of a year and a half, and then the market, or maybe two years, and then it recovered. Yeah. So this is a very similar instance. It's just instead of them pushing more on the market, they basically have pulled the consumption off the market, and it'll take a year or two for it to recover. Okay, so recyclers like you, processors across the country, you're having to talk with cities and counties, mm -hmm. every one of you. I, now this I do know. How, how's the reception? How, how is it working when you go to the cities and say, look, here's where we are. How is that working? It's varied. You know what I mean? It just depends. Some cities are, are very in tune with it and, and understand, and some don't. You know what I mean? And it's mm -hmm. just, you know, it's just some people don't understand. They have just have, it's my recycling. Why would I not be paid? And other, other cities have the, yeah, I understand what's going on. I, I've heard it. I, I get it. We need to, you know change what we're doing here right and so it's kind of it just depends on what city you're dealing in. well it, it's a change as, as long as these commodity values are here the change is coming and uh well, look it's like anything it's we have to just, adapt but it's not just the commodity values you have to understand the cost structure is very expensive too it's not it's not just about this the the sales in at the same time the sales has been decreasing our operating costs are going up no. because we're having to sort more <laughs> we're having to think about it you're having to make a cleaner product right and the market's coming down, so you're you're adding labor, more, man hours, and more cost, production, to or equipment, product. and you're getting less money. It's just really a it's like a horrible wave that just keeps hitting you every day. That you've got to, but I think we need to address that with you know the the market needs to understand that the cities do, and I think for the most part they're they're getting there. It's just. But it's hard, you know. I mean, they, they're used to being paid, and yeah. now they're being charged. Yeah, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't it, feel yeah, right. City budgets are tight everywhere, <laughs> and it, but it doesn't. It doesn't seem right, you know. What I mean, I should be paid, you know. Yeah. But it's not, well, you know. But the reality is that the commodities values. <laughs> there's no secret what the values of commodities are, you know. Yep. Everything is up there. All right. Well, Jason, I think people who listen to this will will garner a lot of information. So, you know, you and I have been friends for a long time. We both yep. went to USC. Mm -hmm. Like I said, you sat on my executive committee when I was uh, chairman of Israel. And we had a lot. We've had a lot of fun. And Absolutely. I want to tell you, what about, tell us a fun, crazy story you have. I've got one, but I want you to go first. <laughs> tell us a fun, crazy story, you know, in the recycling industry. Something that you, you, you still think about might bring a smile to your face. Oh, well, that's a tough one. Um I'm having a tough time remembering one in this market, but that's okay. <laughs> well, I, all right, well, I'll go. Okay, you remember when former Vice President Al Gore, we were at a meeting with former Vice President Gore. Yes. And then Senator Barbara Boxer. Yeah. We're, we're in this, uh, we're at a fundraiser, and, and our trade association has done fundraising. It doesn't matter, Republican, Democrat. We, we, we yeah. have been there, you know, because our cause is important. And for people that are, the, the, Congress people who are interested in recycling, of course, yeah. is who we're looking for. Absolutely. And so there we were in the room, and I'll never forget, there was, I was sitting next to Vice President Gore, and uh, Senator Boxer was next to him, and and uh, we were going to start talking, and, and Vice President Gore said, oh, now wait a minute. He goes, I want to go around the room. I want everybody to introduce themselves. So I went first, John Sacco, Sierra. I got 150 employees, and we recycle and do equipment. And then my Uncle Tim was sitting next to me, who was an attorney, and he says, and then he came to you, and I'll never forget it. Yeah, I'm Jason Young with the Allen Company, and we have 320 employees, and we recycled just a gazillion tons of paper a year. And he looked at you, and he says, well, you can recycle paper? 
<laughs> Do you remember that? Yes. You looked at me like... Well, I still laugh at that story. Yeah. I think it came out wrong for the poor guy and, and all the yeah. offense to him, but you know what? That's a classic story to me. Former yeah. vice president, no, you can recycle paper. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Well, one of my favorite ones, John, I think you're aware, is the blowfish story. I don't know if you – I mean, yeah. it's a good story. We're on the ISRI board, and it was our our final meeting, and uh, John still has the picture in his office, I think. Yeah, well, th this is what happened. So we, we were we were in officer media training, and uh, so as an officer of ISRI, so we were set down. We were given this thing about interviews, how to do interviews. And so we went through this class, and then this guy interviewed us, and this dude was – brutal yeah. i mean it was vicious i'm like i'm sitting there and i'm like well this guy's an sob i yeah. mean this guy was mean so we all did there was myself there was jerry sims doug kramer and mark luan so i went first as chairman and then uh, uh chair elect was jerry sims so jerry went and so we're all watching it we all had to watch everybody's video there was jerry i mean he was killing it i was just envious of how good he was all of a sudden this guy asked him a question and jerry Looked at the the, the interview reporter and goes, <laughs> and then everywhere we went from there, the blowfish. We yeah. we started texting each other, the blowfish. And Jerry yeah. Sims had the blowfish. Oh, that was fun. Oh, that was great. And that that lives. And I do have that picture. You know, God bless Jerry. He suffers from Parkinson's, and um, I don't yes. think he want people to know. But you know what? He's one of the most beautiful people on this planet. Super super nice guy. Yeah. And, I, and it's just it's just terrible. Last funny story I got. Okay. A couple years ago. Me and my son came down, and we went to a famous steakhouse. I forget the name by Santa yeah, Anita. The Derby. The Derby. Okay. So he had to cut weight for this tournament. He was it was one sixty four, and so we got down there and we go to the steakhouse and the bread, this garlic bread comes out, and it was the most amazing garlic bread I've ever had in any restaurant. So John Carl takes this little bite, and you just see him, John Carl, you can't have this. <laughs> so I see him sneaking a little piece, <laughs> and then he sneaks another one. And then the dessert comes, and the cheesecake was amazing. And the poor kid, he couldn't help it. He had a cheesecake. <laughs> so we get back to the hotel that night. He gets on the scale, and he's two and a half pounds overweight. So there we are. He's on the treadmill from 9.45 at night to 11 o'clock, sweating, gets in the jacuzzi, trying to lose weight. The next morning, he wakes up. He's still a half a pound overweight, has to run down, get on that treadmill. <laughs> You almost you almost disqualified him, Jay. Thank you for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love that. It's just it was the look on his face in the morning. Uh, he gets they kept on bringing skin. out food, and yeah. he kept going. Oh. oh, and he was just pink because kid loves to eat. So that was classic. Jason, thank you for joining me. Thank no you problem. for doing this podcast because I believe we're going to be able to help people understand the recycling industry because it's a whole lot more than the blue bin, and it's a whole lot more than scrap metal. It's it's wide and it's and it's and, you know it's vast and your your interview here your your input is going to help educate people and I thank you so much for being appreciate here. it John thanks Pleasure. buddy.